do this work. Um, and this could be this could be a rabbit hole that would. Uh, <laughs> I think it's too hands. late for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 191 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Sunday, the 12th of November. Apologies for being a day late this week. I had a family commitment yesterday and I hope you've had a great week and you're well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm a CMO, not a rockstar. And in this weekly podcast with the help of chums I've met on my journey from sysapp into CMO, I aim to share the marketing street knowledge that will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests at rockstarcmo.com. This week, Jeff Clark, our resident strategy advisor, and I look beyond the MQL as a way of measuring marketing. And in our virtual bar, my chum and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, shares a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Rockstar CMO Studio, with Jeff Clark, our resident strategy advisor, former Forrester research director, and my opportunity to get some free advice. And we pick up on the measurement threads from a couple of weeks ago and talk about how we need to look beyond MQLs as B2B Welcome back into the studio. Thank you, mate. It's been a week or two. Yeah, you just got a brush... Yeah, I know we got to brush some of the cobwebs off because uh, I've been, you know, I haven't been using it for for a week. So, um, but anyway, welcome in, and I can see I'm doing well, and I can see from you know because our 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 clocks are now turned back. I can see it's a little dark outside your window. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's mm-hmm. uh, things are getting dark earlier for you, and uh, although we have a bright, sunny, crisp fall day here. Um, uh, we're, which we're enjoying. Nice. We had a miserable day today. We've had some crisp fullness, but today was rain, unfortunately. Just grey, <laughs> miserable rain. So always it's not, my, it's not my favorite. Yeah, not my favorite month because, I mean, if it's a nice crisp day, that's one thing, but if, when it gets dreary, yeah. it gets really dreary. Well, the, the thing I found last few days is we've I've woken up to a bright blue sky and nice crisp sort of autumnal morning you get out for a walk yep. straight away because you don't know what's coming after that. yeah you don't so, want to yeah. come later on that's right <laughs> you gotta make the most of it all right so um this week mate uh i can't remember whether we mentioned what we were going to talk about when you were last on but uh we agreed that we talk about marketing measurement and specifically 
uh, if I can pronounce specifically properly, uh, is uh, both of us have been talking about some work that Forrester are doing. They're talking about say goodbye to the MQL. And uh, as B2B marketers, we are obsessed with MQLs. And I thought, is there another way, Jeff? What other things should B2B, B, us B2B marketers be doing to measure the success <laughs> of our activities? What say yes. you, Jeff? What should us B2B markers be doing and, and measuring? <laughs> so it's, uh, I, you know, the, um, this, the series, which, uh, you know, those, uh, it's been put out by two of my old colleagues there, Terry Flaherty and Amy Hawthorne. Mm. And, um, and it, it, it builds on, you know, work that, that, uh, they had been developing for uh, you know a couple of years before before I had uh, departed there, and and it really is the interesting thing is that you know one of the key proponents of marketing qualified leads and the whole funnel concept and the going from you know in, in initial engagement to MQLs to mm-hmm. SQLs to da 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 through the opportunity pipeline. I mean, that was the people at Serious yeah. Decisions, and then all of a sudden they say, "Well, you know, it's not really that 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 important to do that, or it's not that it's not that <laughs> important a metric." And so, um, you know, so you know, if, when when this when this uh, transition first came up i was like what <laughs> you know yeah. um but the reality is i mean there's there are four uh, and if you if you read through i think you'll provide a link to the the series that they have mm-hmm. on the forest yeah. site yeah. i mean they go through all yeah. kinds of issues but i think there are four key ones um that really um these you know sell me on the idea that mqls you, you've got to demote it in terms of its importance um and certainly in terms of reporting to an executive team the first thing is that the MQL sort of makes it sort of makes you feel like you know marketing's job is done as soon as they do the handoff to sales. So we've qualified it, mm. you know, and we hopefully we have a tele sales team that qualified it, or we gave it to a tele sales team. They qualified, it, boom, it's yours. We're done. Um, so that's that's a problem because marketing is as we know now in the buyer's journey. I mean, marketing and sales and other functions are typically touching the that that prospect or customer mm. all along their journey. Um, you know, the second thing is that the MQL was attached to a person. Uh, mm. That person was not necessarily the buyer. Uh, it mm. may have been the first person you contacted, but what about the second person you contacted and which one is the buyer? And, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the third, which leads to the third problem is that it's only one touch in a selling process. Mm. And, you know, the average we had determined that from data that the average uh, selling process requires 18 touches. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's like, you know, that MQL and the follow-up is going to be a, a minor part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, and probably most importantly, it doesn't demonstrate the propensity to buy, or it doesn't necessarily lead to the business impact that the executive team is interested in, which is, how are you impacting revenue or how are you impacting the pipeline that's going to lead to revenue? So like the discussion we had uh, a couple episodes ago when we're talking about marketing ROI and understanding what are impact measures versus outputs and activities, yeah. you know, the MQLs, it's an output. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not that it has no importance, but it only has importance in terms of following a buyer journey. Yeah, I like your second one, especially the person attached to the MQL is not necessarily a buyer. It's almost like you want to look at all the people in your CRM that are associated with that account and say, which one of you represents you all? 
<laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Put your hand up. We want. We want to. Which which one are you? Yeah, yeah. Who who's important here? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> whom of you? <laughs> no, I like yeah. that. So yeah. um, so we've got to move on from the MQL by the sound of things, and the good people of Forrester are supporting that, right? Now then. I'm hoping that you're going to suggest to me some more metrics that we need to deal with. And particularly, as you know, our editorial policy, you've got five effing metrics. Effing. Yeah, absolutely. What have you got? Effing, yeah. Effing, right. (laughs) (laughs) So what have you got for us? Where do we start? Well, so I've I've laid out five effing B2B marketing metrics that matter. Mm -hmm. And, And of course, the big caveat is that, you know, what matters most is what matters to your executive team. (laughs) So, (laughs) so these are, these are suggestions. These are suggestions. Um, But the first one is, is um, marketing influenced pipeline. Now that's a, that's a, uh, you know, it's not a, uh, um, how should I put that? You know, it's kind of a squishy term because, because now we have to define, well, what, what does influence mean? Uh, and, and, you know, what ways are we, are the executive team tracking now? So one of the things that, that is, uh, you know, apparently certainly been true in my uh, career is that pipeline seems to be the thing that the executive team really focuses in on. Obviously they want to know what's going on in revenue. Um, but you know, pipeline becomes a leading indicator of revenue and, and booked revenue becomes kind of the lagging indicator. So if you want to show your, you know, that you are indeed focused on what matters to the executive team, then honing in on pipeline, and of course that pipeline might be a recurring, you know, recurring revenue pipeline. It might be, you know, might be in a target account. So there might be some spins on it that that are important to the executive team. Mm-hmm. But I think if we're looking at pipeline, we can. We can show that our goal is to identify opportunities early. That's marketing's goal, and um, we what we want to do is we want to avoid. And this is there was another uh, article which I think you may put into the uh, into the show notes about um, uh, it was a discussion with a number of CMOs called Metric Makeover, and one of our old buddies Grant Johnson had said, you know, in complex B two B marketing markets, you want to avoid the source battles between marketing and sales. So that's why I focused on influence. It's like, so, okay, who created it? Well, I don't know. Who cares who created it? Because <laughs> yeah, we're both yeah. going to have an, in, have an influence yeah. on it, and, and we want to be able to, um, to show that, that marketing is, is seeding and influencing opportunities yeah. and that, that's, making them um, more successful. Well, I mean, Grant was on this show, and he talked about um, marketing contribution rather than attribution, which follows along with what you're saying there. And um, I actually did a presentation at an event and I talked about the same thing and it was, it went down really well with the marketers in the room that we need to figure out, we need to figure out measuring contribution, not, not, not getting into that fight of attribution. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the, the challenge becomes, you know, how are you measuring that influence? And, and this is where from a technical perspective, what, what you want to be able to do is to take that marketing or sorry, take the opportunity object, you know, in your CRM system and show that marketing has actually is, is sourced, um, you know, people in the buying team. So other individuals, as we were talking about that MQL is not necessarily the buyer. So can marketing help build out who the buying team is? So that's attached to that, that opportunity record. And can marketing show 
that it is actually engaging with the various people on that buying team. So you've you've attached the team members and you've you've demonstrated engagement. And and there was another quote. Actually, this was a quote from Amy Hawthorne in the, one of the Forrester articles. Is that when it, when sales thinks about the opportunity, they're thinking potential deal. But when marketing thinks opportunity, they're thinking of it as a container that holds all the insights that enable alignment between, and I'm going to finish your sentence, between marketing and sales to be successful mm. with that opportunity. Mm. Mm. I think this, this, is in, this point is interesting because, and this is a bit of a struggle in terms of, you're absolutely right, the point you made earlier on about MQLs being one and done, toss that over the wall, and there we go, right? And the only thing you're measuring marketing on is MQLs, and you and you never know the quality of them and all that kind of good stuff. Is this is this making an argument for revenue operations rather than marketing operations and sales operations that now, especially in B2B, this is such a complex uh, uh, insight challenge that you've got to be looking at both sides of the, the, the house, like from yeah. that perspective, yeah? So. So, so a qualified yes to answer your question, yeah. and the only qualification is that, so does it matter whether the revenue operations is a single unified team, or is it the fact uh-huh. that you've got people yeah. and marketing yeah. sales ops and, you know, maybe some mm-hmm. product or some other operations organization that are coming yeah. up with a common solution? So absolutely yeah. the latter, and, and they, they, they could be part of, a, of one team, but uh, absolutely, because yeah. you're, you know, you've got to look at, you know, marketing could go out and buy an attribution tool, um, which are in, uh, you know, sort of the reputation is that they're not very accurate. But, you know, you could use attribution or other uh, AI-based tools that actually help you build that, you know, that the, the robust nature of that opportunity object. Because that's the hard thing is, you know, you're expecting the sales guy to attach every, mm-hmm. you know, person he runs into in an account to that, that buying opportunity. There needs to be some automated, assisted way of being able to do this work, um, and this could be this could be a rabbit hole that would. Uh, <laughs> I think it's too late for that. Mate. <laughs> we'll go there. We're almost, 12, we're almost twelve minutes in, and we're on the first one, and yeah, uh, yeah. we seem to have gone into a yeah. rabbit hole of of that stuff. So, so that's the first one is basically to measure marketing influence pipeline. What's the second? Second one is is, and, I, and I'll say that. So the next three are all about looking at other leading indicators to pipeline mm-hmm. health. So the second one is share of voice. So, you know, what are people talking about, uh, you know, about you, about your competitors? What are the trends? And, you know, you're really trying to see, um, you know, whether you have maintained and, and this is obviously within the challenge is going to be, you know, within the sphere of influence you care about, you know, not the whole great mm-hmm. wider world, but within the sphere mm-hmm. of the market you you care about, are people talking about you and, and in general, is, is it positive and how does that relate to your competitors? Because, um, again, to pull another another quote from the, the interview with the CMOs, Grant Johnson said, you know, tracking metrics beyond just the pipeline funnel like NPS, share of voice, social advocacy – improve visibility into pipeline health and momentum. And, you know, they absolutely do. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, again, this, this is another area where technology comes into, into play because with the, you know, the sort of recent generation of social media monitoring, listening tools and intelligence tools, you can really, you can do a lot of work that, that helps you understand um, 
your share of voice and other things about sentiment and and, and trends of what people are talking yeah. about and whether you're in that conversation. Yeah, that's interesting because I think um as you're say as you said, like these kinds of metrics are normally about the value of marketing to the business as a whole. And we get down that MQL thing because it's a measurable thing and it's a direct connection with sales. But actually if marketing is doing a great job if we've got good share of voice, then then we have to assume that the deals would follow, right? Is uh, because there's good brand recognition, all that kind of stuff in the market. So that's your second one. So the, so the second one was share of voice. But what's your third? Um, the third one is brand preference. So um, mm-hmm. you know, brand gets somewhat of a of a um, you know a bad name, and it's kind of highfalutin, mm-hmm. kind of theoretical. But if like if you can and understanding brand awareness or perception of your company is 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 helpful. But if you can understand brand preference, so the the mm-hmm. the uh, the preference that your target audience has for buying you vis a vis other competitors, um, then you're definitely looking at something. Is as as you can move that metric up, you're going to improve your ability to um, to build pipeline and and close deals from that pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because preference determines the ability to convert you know the brand into sales. Uh, right. the, the challenge is that that um, I mean, this kind of goes back to this is one of the things that from your your social listing tools you can you can gauge this. Um, you know, typically this was done in. You know, and uh, certainly for most of my career was done by survey or interviews or focus groups where you can kind of get into the, particularly with focus groups or even win-loss analysis, you start to get into the the why. Um, you know, you might have a positive or negative preference, but you can get into a little bit more of why that is. So you can you can figure out how to, um, you know, how to solve it. Um and it's got to be done on a regular basis so that you can, you know, you you can see trends over time. And then one of the things I think, you know, we did talk about on a previous episode is with a lot of brand metrics, it's you, you can look for um, ways that you correlate that trend line with with pipeline and or with revenue to see what the relationship mm-hmm. is. So as we, as we are able to boost brand preference, we can see that that's having effect or not having effect on our um our revenue related numbers. So you're saying that we historically look at revenue trends and we look at our, our um, brand preference CSAT NPS trends and, and see whether those two things correlate, right? Cause we're, we've, that's, that's what you're saying, right? And then, and, and link it to the marketing investment at the time as well. Right. Yes. We, you know, we invested in, yeah. You know, this is, I mean, just like with, you know, with the whole funnel, it's like you're, you're doing things up front that hopefully will lead to, you know, pipeline, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah. we're doing things up front yeah. to improve our brand preference. And hopefully yeah. as we improve brand preference, we're going to improve the revenue related metrics along with that. Right. Right. Cool. And is that a lagging indicator then? So if we can figure out brand preference today, is that buyers tomorrow or is there a fairly fairly neat sort of line graph that you can draw th- around that stuff i think it's a it's a data. it's a leading and in- i think it's a leading indicator um because okay. it's it's yeah, yeah. it's saying that you're actually going to get better at being able to convert sales yeah 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 that's cool so yeah and that's the interesting difference isn't it between share of voice and brand preference is that brand preference would be what people are going to buy tomorrow where a share of voice is is, is a bit more 
now here and now i guess isn't it yep so okay so that yep. uh, we've done three marketing influence pipeline share a voice brand preference what's your fourth the fourth i mean it gets into kind of a suite of of metrics that are on customer satisfaction or as we mentioned mm-hmm. before net promoter scores i mean it is it's very yeah. similar to brand preference but it is getting more specifically mm-hmm. into we've had an experience with you know your organization yeah. and that is yeah. that is you know definitely saying that we are likely to recommend you to other yeah. colleagues of ours and or we're we're more likely to purchase uh the next offering from your organization so every company mm-hmm. chooses its own methodology um and uh you know but you know particularly one of the reasons I, I kind of separated this out from some of the others is that particularly with CMOs being responsible for customer experience or customer experience improvement mm-hmm. for organizations that are highly reliant on, um, you know, recurring revenue from existing customers or, you know, selling again to enterprise, you know, sales to existing customers, then this is, you know, really important. The challenge is that, that, you know, there are so many factors that go into customer satisfaction. You know, it's the product quality, it's mm. the onboarding experience, it's the support experience. Mm. So, so, so there's there the CMO needs to be involved in. You know, what is this holistic view of the customer experience, and how can marketing, you know, make an impact mm. on that? And as we increase, you know, customer engagement, you know, we're seeing that that our, our customer satisfaction numbers are going up or as we're improving the customer experience on the web, customer portals, the onboarding process, we're seeing the CSAT numbers going up. So again, this is another, the, one of the challenges becomes it's a little bit harder to measure and then you've got to tie it to what marketing is, being able, is doing to be able to impact that number. Yeah. 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 No, I like that. And, and it, like you say, it's kind of like a, it's the, it's a, it's the stepchild of brand preference, isn't it? And it's mainly focused around your customers. And so is this then predicting the sort of um, upsell and cross-sell opportunities? Or do you think it actually, for, for new business as well, it's a good indicator of how you're going to do with new business too? I think it's, um, so that's a, that's a really good question because I think that, um, Again, depending on your business model, if upsell and cross-sell is important, yeah. it's absolutely going to improve that. If, yeah. if customer yeah. retention is important, uh, you know, because you're selling on a subscription yeah. model, then it is absolutely important. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea of like the net promoter score is the idea that the the person who you're you're surveying is likely to recommend you to others because of the experience mm. that they've just had. So so. And and if companies are, um, you know, if they are looking at a variety of vendors for buying a particular purchase and it's a, you know, it's an expensive mm-hmm. investment, then they're going to be looking at, you know, what are the NPS scores of the various vendors in this yeah, category? Or what are the customer yeah, yeah. SAT scores of vendors in this category? Yeah, that's, you know, what are the reviews, the uh, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. But that's 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 a different rabbit hole, isn't it? Because that's that's influencing the deal. Whereas what we're saying is these are metrics that replace our trusty old MQL and get us off of that crack pipe, right? So I think that we're, we're going down a <laughs> different rabbit hole. But I, I think that 
marketing's <laughs> role in customer satisfaction. Let's chalk that one down to another future episode, I think. So we've done four. Yeah. We're doing well. We're not, we're not very doing very well with time. But anyway, we've done four. So what's your fifth? Well, we'll, do, we'll, we'll be quick with this one because this is, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, and, and this, I, 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 I put this on, you know, partially from personal experience, but also when we were, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things that we talked about at Serious Decisions and Forrester was that, you know, there's, there are certain readiness metrics that show that, that you know, marketing is making themselves, putting themselves in a position to be successful, or marketing is helping sales put themselves. So doing project status reports on, you know, large, important projects that are important to the executive suite can be extremely important to report on. Um, so product launches, web sales portal launches. Mm. Uh, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, uh, I was involved in a number of projects where, you know, sales tool readiness was, was highly important to the executive team. And so you're, yeah. you're not only demonstrating that you are, um, you're active and engaged in this particular pro- project, but you're demonstrating marketing's ability to execute so if this is an important project to the executive team, you want to be able to say, you know, we set the milestones, we're hitting the milestones, and um, and in the end, you know, with any big change management project or large project, you want to do some satisfaction, you know, maybe internal customer satisfaction surveys or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You want to show people yeah. we're happy with the results. Yeah, yeah. I, I Coincidentally, I, um, I I did my Tuesday Two Cents this week, which is on my personal blog at iantruscott.com um and i i i uh i talked about this as the 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 need to communicate this to the c-suite because it's really easy to focus on things like mqls and web hits and all the stuff that and the way i described it was like like the iceberg the bit above the water that everybody can see and gets interested in the brand the website and all that kind of stuff but this stuff the operationalizing of marketing is the bit that sits below the water and is often the marketing that we don't sell because that was the premise of my yeah. my blog post was that you need to market the marketing and it's actually you need to market the operations of marketing the other stuff markets itself almost doesn't it so i think that's yeah. it's a good one to finish yeah. on there number five so uh just to run through those so that we had uh marketing influence pipeline which a brilliant pi- um rabbit hole for another day <laughs> share of voice brand preference Number four was customer satisfaction, net promoter score, and number five, the large project status. So it only leaves us now, and it's not that too bad for time. It is our podcast; we can take as long as we like. Yeah. Um, what was the What's the song we're going to go with this we're, week? We're going to go with a choice uh, that, that came from you. Primal Screen had a song called "Moving On Up," nineteen ninety one, and so yes. as the uh, as yeah. they say, I was blind. Now I can see. You made me a believer out of me. I'm moving on up. Get now the darkness. My light shines on. I, you know, it's a great, it's great for reporting, you know, <laughs> and talking about metrics that matter. And I should actually, yeah, absolutely. And I should point out that you did suggest two newer songs. That's right. I was going earlier. This week. So I'll play out with moving on. <laughs> I'll, I'll play out with moving on up by Primal Screen. And will I be joining you in the studio next week? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. I was blind, now I can see. You made a believer 
Moving On Up by Primal Screen from 1991. And Jeff has promised to share some of his thoughts on our blog, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. So keep an eye out for that. Right, it's that time of the week. To wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar to find out over a cocktail what's on the mind of my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory. Robert, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. It's uh, it's a good weekend. It's a fall weekend. It's a cool mm. weekend. Is it cold there? Is it cold? Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's getting that jolly way. old it's, England, as they it's, say. It's jolly old. Uh, well, we've or do they say that? Do they, do they say jolly old England? Is that a thing <laughs> in jolly old England? We tend not to yeah. so much. It does tend to be. No, I, I see. I see. <laughs> but, Other than um, stupid Americans calling it jolly old England. <laughs> well, I don't think we use the word jolly enough. To be honest with you, but yes, it's been uh, it's been fairly miserable and, and rainy. But you have had some sunny spells. But yes, winter is definitely coming over here. I can tell you. All right, winter is coming. <laughs> yeah. well, well, we have a we have an mm. interesting drink, uh, yes. an interesting cocktail for the for the weekend uh, yes. this weekend, and it's one that I couldn't remember if we've had before. Um, okay. It's called an airmail, and. Um, uh, and it's an interesting drink. I, I had one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Oh, right, this is one that we should bring mm-hmm. to the virtual bar." Which is, it's a rum drink. Yeah. So, uh, and you can put this if you're fancy. You can put this, you know, shaken into a beautiful martini glass and make a very pretty cocktail with a sprig of mint or something mm-hmm. like that. Or you can, if you're just thirsty, you can just pour it over ice into a big old highball glass and <laughs> guzzle it down like you would a iced tea you know whatever the mood suits right and so basically it starts with one part gold rum Mm -hmm. um mellow light you know one to three years old rum nice a nice you know light rum um then lime juice freshly squeezed lime juice of course always um and then i use honey um as a sweetener um basically you know you can heat it up or whatever you want to do to sort of melt it in hot water and put in uh, about half part honey and then add a little bit of, you know, your favorite champagne, sparkling wine, Ooh. a prosecco, whatever you like there. Yeah. Uh, another one and a half parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes more of a champagne, sparkling wine with infused with rum than it does sort of a rum infused mm-hmm. with champagne. Mm-hmm. But then you shake that up, um, and again pour it into a bit of a martini glass if you like it fancy, uh-huh. or literally just pour it over ice into a highball glass okay. and. And away you go. And that's called an airman. I love it. And uh, I, I like the, I, I mean, you had me at rum and lime, <laughs> let alone adding the yeah. other stuff. So I'll have to give that a go. I'll definitely have to give that a go. And um, I, I, I will obviously be drinking a gin and tonic, but I'm not going to bore the listeners by having to listen to me making another one. But what, um, what uh, whereabouts are you going to take these very fancy drinks? Uh, well, I think we need to go someplace where, you know, if, since fall is falling, mm-hmm. winter's coming, yes. we need to go somewhere um, where, you know, because I was actually having this drink um, in a place here in Southern California, although not the greatest place in the world to see the leaves change, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but I think somewhere north, I think somewhere north, maybe we visit our friends up in Toronto or, yes. or in, uh, you know, yes. in somewhere in Southern Canada. Where 
it's still reasonably, you know, temperatured and mm-hmm. we can see some of the leaves change. Nice. Maybe Ottawa would be a good mm-hmm. place somewhere up in northern Canada or not, excuse me, southern Canada. Yeah. Where we can actually visit with some friends that we all, you, know, you and I both know there. Yes. And have a couple of these things. Well, I'll have our favorite Canadian on the show next week in terms of. Ah, coffee. there you go. Yeah, Kathy McKnight will be joining the show next week. So, yes, I shall mention it to her. and Maybe we'll get an invite and we'll go up there. <laughs> that well, that's fantastic. fantastic. So, and whereabouts are we in Toronto? One of their, because I mean, for me, I think it's a lovely city and they've got some really nice little little bars there. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, cool. All right, so we're sipping these wonderful, wonderful drinks. We're in a, some classy bar in Toronto and conversation turns to marketing. What's your thought for this week, mate? Well, shall we talk about AI? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> For the benefit of the listeners, uh, we have just been spent half an hour before I press record uh, talking about AI. It's fascinating. So what is it that you, what is it we're going to share in the show this week, mate? Yeah, well, it's it's basically so here's the here's mm-hmm. the interesting thing. Yeah. Um, so so going going all the way back yes. to my origins, my origin story. Yes. Um, in the world of the web and internet and, and all those kinds of things. We yes. go all the way back to 1996. I was early in <laughs> on this whole web and internet thing. We've talked about that on the show. Yeah, before. yeah. And there was a, I worked at this thing called a website design company. And, um, you know, by the way, this was, you know, this was when making a website, you know, when you would walk in and talk <laughs> to marketing executives or the CEO and tell them that, Yes, you actually can have all of your brochures and everything online, and mm-hmm. you can change them every day if you want. <laughs> and that was mind blowing uh, to these people that had, you know, for so long, you know, a, a brochure was something you did like mm. four times a year. You yeah, know, maybe, yeah. maybe four times a year, usually yeah. twice or once a year, you would you would create something because it took so long to do. Yeah, and so. When we were when we were building these websites, you know, there in, in our downtime, there was this amazing uh, time. I mean, I actually don't know how amazing he is, but but <laughs> it, it, you know, he was might as well have been a magician as far as I'm concerned. Back in those days, mm-hmm. he was a coder. He was a, a, a true engineer, computer software programmer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said, which because I asked him, and he would teach me a little bit of code, and he would teach me how to do a little mm-hmm. C plus plus, and teach me how to do JavaScript, and teach me how to do uh, you know, all, all kinds of different uh, coding. And and don't at me. I know JavaScript and C++ or not. You know, that, that, no, I understand the difference, right? So anyway, he said something really interesting, but it, and it sticks to me this day. What he said was, he said, look, computer technology, he said, and programming is really a simple concept. The only thing a computer can do is read data or write data. Mm-hmm. And he said, Anything interesting that happens between those two things is all on me. That's what computer programming is all about, is the interesting stuff that happens between when the computer reads something and when it then writes something back out. Mm -hmm. And boy, if that doesn't describe what ChatGPT is (laughs) in a a nutshell, I don't know what does. But here's the thing. What I have noticed over the last 20 years, and it's something I'm starting to even see in, in now with, especially with AI, is that we are so enamored as businesses and have become so enamored with speed um, over quality that technology has made us fast and dumb. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, so for example, 
there's uh, I was I was talking with a, a friend of mine, and she was telling me how she would write the job descriptions for her marketing stuff, right? And today, and it was the best way that she. It was a menial job, and she typed it all out and did all these things, and it was you know it was an awful job, right? But taking the two weeks to do that as part of her growth within the company, she learned everything about that company. She learned every, how everything works, you know, what, what people did, how it worked, the processes. under. So that institutional knowledge was saved within that person. And today you can get an AI to do that in about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. But the question becomes at what cost? Now I know that's sort of a, a sort of a, you know, not terribly meaningful example, but the idea is here is what are we going to delegate to AI and all these things in the name of speed? And what is that going to ultimately cost us in institutional understanding, the learning that our teams and people and we go through? Mm -hmm. And that gets to the point of saying fast isn't always better. Faster isn't always better. And when we try and look at AI and chat GPT, I'm starting to see the same trends emerge, right? Where all we're trying to do is squeeze down as much as we can the in-between parts, in between the reading of the data and the writing of the data. And that now includes with chat GPT, the creative process itself, Yeah, right? And we even talked about this, you know, pre-show, right? Where yeah. we talked about the squeezing down of particular kinds of content to actually in that creative process because it will eventually squeeze it till it becomes nothing. Yeah. And where it becomes irrelevant in mm. that part of the process. But that's a decision that we're making. And I'll give you an example of that. I was talking to a B2B company uh, uh, last uh, couple of weeks ago and they have all these cool ideas about these content marketing programs that they want to do. Every idea that they had in this brainstorming meeting was shot down. And the reason it was <laughs> shot down was because it would consume too much time. Mm-hmm. It was going to be way too big an idea to design, to implement, to actually create all this amazing content. It was just going to be too long. And a senior leader walked into the room and, who was a skeptic about all of this content marketing stuff and asked a serious question. He asked, can't we just feed all that data into ChatGPT and see if there's like a 70% solution that's faster? Now think about that for a second. The business would actually consciously work to an idea that was 70% as original and creative and good, all in the name of being faster. And that is the danger to me. That is where we really will fall down with this technology if we allow ourselves to go down that trap. And by the way, we already have in so many ways, right? Yeah. If you just look at the way that, for example, the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau, defines the viewability of an ad. Well, it used to be that it was 50% of the ad was viewable for six seconds. Well, now it's if it's 50% is viewable for three seconds. And pretty soon it may be that 50% of the ad is viewable for a second and a half. Wow. We're already compromising our standards of what quality means in the mm-hmm. name of speed. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we will face as marketers in the coming year. Yeah, man. It reminds me, it's, it's that old triangle, isn't it? Of, of, of do, you want it, do you want it good? Do you want it fast? Or, what, where, you know, those three points of a productivity thing, you know, do you want it? I'm completely fucking this up. But you know what I mean is that if yeah, you, yeah. If you, do you want, want it something, fast, do you want it good or do you want it cheap? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and right. if and, and, and ChatGPT will give you 
um, all of those things apart from the good bit, right? If you want mediocre stuff right now, then off well, you, the same rule applies, yeah. right? I mean, the yeah. same rule applies as, as yeah. you know, you, if you want it, if you want it good with ChatGPT, you yeah. can work and yeah. chat with ChatGPT and go back and forth and yeah. work out ideas, and it's a great yeah. research assistant. Yeah, and it's not saving you any time, but it might actually get you to a better idea. Yeah, that's true. You know, so that's you can true. spend the time to make it good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or yeah, yeah. you can throw crap in there and get crap out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that seems to be where the creativity with this thing is, isn't it? Is I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about how we're going. We all need to be really good at prompts and all that stuff, but that's where the creativity is going to be. And like you say, is what do you do with the raw material that comes out? spend some time on it and and it's not going to be the 70 percent, is it it's going to be it's the 100 percent, then isn't it from from that's your right. story yeah that's exactly right and that's yeah. where the you know i mean as everybody starts doing that yeah. the i think the smart you know the zagging instead of zigging yeah. or whatever it is yeah. is 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 getting to differentiated high levels of quality and slow you know a slow food movement if you will yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that that's what's going to be really interesting, isn't it? The the slow content movement and the and the writing content for fun rather than get the machine to do it, right? So, I think that's going to be that's going to be where, yeah, where it's Yeah, or just at. finding finding the different stories for your finding the different stories for your audiences that yeah. make them want to stay and hang out with you rather than yeah. sort of only lean on you when they have a yeah. buying decision. Yeah. So, what decision did the did, uh, did did they make? Did they go for the quick and the seventy percent, or did they? They did. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Oh, good yeah, Lord. they did. They actually did go for that for that oh, uh, wow. for that for that cheaper seventy percent solution. Oh wow! But they didn't use AI to get there. They just went. Well, we can just do that ourselves, but we could just do the half-assed version of it. And it's like that's <laughs> it, it's it's sad, but it, that's what ends up happening. Oh, good Lord! All right, mate. Well, because I spent so much time um, waffling on before I hit record, I know that we. We've got a bit of a, a time stop this week um but uh, if people want to sort of indulge and spend a bit more time in the 100 percent content uh that maybe they might get from you where they, where might they find that you can get me at robert mm-hmm. uh at contentadvisory.net if you want to email me oh. um that's also the website uh contentadvisory.net where uh-huh. we put our things yeah. um all the things that uh that we talk about and then, of course, our new uh, ex- sort of expansion of my latest book, Content Marketing Strategy, um, the community that we're building there, as well as access to one-on-one coaching is at yeah. contentmarketingstrategy.com. I will include both of those in the show notes. And more importantly for me, mate, will you be in the bar next week? I will indeed. I'll see you then. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Robert. I love that breakdown of AI. What happens between reading the data and writing the data? So that's a wrap on episode 191 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insights and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. You can find all of our links and all the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And please let us know what you think, either via the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. 
Next week, I'm hoping to grab some time with one of our regular guests, Kathy McKnight, to share some interesting research the Content Advisory have done on AI. And Jeff and Robert will be back in their usual slots. And until then, have a great week. I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.